and welcome to an all new edition of Talking Fußball Extra, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. My name is Nick Wiltagen and I'm delighted to welcome Talking Fußball's own tactics and German football expert Jasmine Barber back to the show. How are you doing today, Jasmine? I'm pretty good. It's been a pretty long Christmas break, really. Yeah, it's been one of those, uh, you know, time of the years where you can turn to yourself, start thinking, reflecting upon things, and then you think, ah, oh, damn it. Why isn't there any German football on the television? My life is dull and boring right about now. Yeah, but we've got it back now, and I don't know about anyone else's Christmas, but I filled it with loads of Mario Kart, so hopefully everyone else had a nice relaxing time off German football in those couple of weeks. Brilliant. So, uh, what's on for today, you might wonder? Well, um, there were FIFA awards. You know, Robert Lewandowski won one. Erling Haaland was included in the team by FIFA. Yeah, no, we're not going to talk about that. No way. Thomas Tuchel won too. Oh, well, there you go. deserves a mention. It, do it does. If there's one person who doesn't care about awards and accolades from FIFA and FIFA Pro, it's, it's me. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant to say it's Thomas Tuchel. Well... <laughs> He'd probably be number two on that list. Uh, me and Tom are quite similar in that regard. Anyways, now, well, what we'll be talking about uh, in part one of the show, we're taking a closer look at Union Berlin and their tactical setup. Uh, Jasmine has written an article for The Athletic here, here, about that. And in part two, we'll be answering all of your questions. Well, hopefully most of them, anyways. So all of that is to come. Right, here we go. Union Berlin. They are actually in with a shout for a Champions League finish this season. Jasmine, how on earth has that happened? It's kind of funny because I don't, I, a lot of us, I remember seeing people's predictions and mine included, a lot of us predicted that Union Berlin wouldn't get close to Champions League places. 1-8, um, drawn 7 and lost four they're on um 31 points which is good enough for champions league this season well so far with one point behind third and nine points behind um second place Dortmund so yeah it's the standard of the league this year has played a big part of teams like Union Berlin maybe not spending as much as the clubs around them doing so well um if we take Union Berlin by Leverkusen, 32-31 points in third and fifth, respectively. Half nine's also in fourth, which is just divided by goal difference. But we've got them quite close. Everyone's close to each other this, this year. So, as I said, by Leverkusen, 32 points in third. And five points, you're tenth. And that's mine's with 27 points. So that has really helped a team like Union Berlin compete. But also it's because apart from the other teams, let's say who normally fights for the Champions League places, the Wolfsburgs, the Mönchengladbach, with the change of coaches at the beginning of the season or two, if you're Wolfsburg, compared to last season anyway. Union Berlin has been given this gift of stability. And I've talked about stability on Aufstieg edition before when it comes to St. Pauli, having someone who's come through 
the club and knows the club well. And even having a head coach for a couple of years can boost you immensely when it comes to something like that. And it's not all just about personnel. It's the way Union Berlin are doing it. Now, if you just look at their plain stats, their XGs, it's not fascinating. I think at the moment it puts them at at eight. But that doesn't really matter because, as I said, it's quite a close league and a lot of those XGs of other teams are also quite close. So one result can tilt it another way. But the kind of eye test of how they're doing it at the moment is the per- most perfect thing. So they're a 5-3-2, but they're not what people expect a 5-3-2 to be. Whenever someone says a back three or a back five, they expect boring football. I don't see Union Berlin as a boring team. They push in a different way to RB Leipzig, but in the same sort of counter-press, counter-attacking way. But their focus is always to attack the goal in a direct and fast way when they have the ball. And to achieve that, they a little bit like the Wagensburg in the Spider-Bundesliga when their centre-backs were so wide. Union Berlin utilised a similar thing with three centre-backs wide. And um, they either play a quick long ball to overplay their opponent, and that works really well for them. Or they collect second balls, like Regensburg do a little bit, and attack the depth and space in those situations. So, yeah, this kind of tactic, especially offensively, really works for them. And Urs Fischer has done a really brilliant job stabilising them defensively in this way, too. They're very aggressive in closing down open spaces, so they have to be quick. They have to be physical. And even though we have things like injuries and COVID at the moment and the African Cup of Nations, where Union Berlin have lost their top scorer in Alany, there we go, with nine goals, they've they've relayed it in all different types of goal scorers. So you've got Schluser on four goals, I think. Um, Vocal Slammer, who's come in, had scored in their last game a win against Hoffenheim, which Hoffenheim are also pushing for the top four. And as I say, their wingbacks have taken a huge part of this role. can't remember which wingback it is. I think it's uh, Nico Gieselman, who has uh, three goals and three assists. And then you've also got Ryerson and Trimmel also having goals and assists this season. So they've made up the goals that Aouni would have brought in at this time. And the fact that they're actually doing this still without him and actually at the moment have quite a hard run of games and got one draw against Leverkusen and a win against Hoffenheim, they're, they're rivals in this. It's very, very impressive. Yeah, I just looked at their last nine matches since their 5-2 loss to Bayern, and they've only lost one of those against Fürth, which uh, is is sort of a funny stat. Um, you mentioned Urs Fischer there. He's the coach who got them promoted to the Bundesliga for the first time ever, so he gave us finally proper East German team in the Bundesliga. And, you know, the first year around, what 
people were saying about Union Berlin was, well, they're sort of a tough side to play against. They fight hard. They're na- sort of a nasty side. Sort of, uh, they're making you work a lot harder than most other sides do in the Bundesliga. But they're not necessarily the prettiest of sides to watch. But as you just described, that has somehow changed. I mean, how far has Urs Fischer, you know, how far has he sort of moved away from the tactics of, of that first year compared to now? I mean, how, how, how well has he developed this team? I mean, I think there is a nasty side to their game, but I think I prefer that. I prefer the physical side of it. Um, they're, they're not afraid to go dirty with it. And... I actually really, really appreciate that because it works for them. And I think it's the way that they score good technical goals on top of that, that you can appreciate that more. And I feel like from two seasons ago where they would, I think they just sat back a bit more, which could be boring for the neutral. Where now they don't care. They don't have to care. And they've improved on that stability built from the sitting back and have utilized, you know, their wingbacks to push forward to make sure everyone is quick and physical in the way that they press, the way that they attack. So yeah, it, it, it's like built a solid foundation to improve on that, which, you know, we saw a little bit with Wolfsburg until they threw it all away. Um, different play of style but you know you need to keep on building in those improvements because as soon as you stop you can quickly find yourself going backwards a la Schalke oh, I won't, will not mention Werder Bremen on this podcast but, but you understand like if you don't build on those kind of improvements you don't recruit properly or you don't play to your players you don't have a tactic that suits them, their physicality which we're seeing more teams cater to, like Leverkusen's strategy of recruiting players based on their physicality to help aid their tactics. It's the same kind of approach. And it's an easier way to quickly improve a team that we've seen in the last two years. It's been 20 years before Union qualified for the UEFA Conference League. The 20 years before that was their first European um, competition, which I can't even remember what competition it was. Would it have been UEFA Cup? It was the UEFA Cup as they uh, qualified uh, by getting to the Cup final, which they <laughs> lost to Schalke. <laughs> Sorry. But um, Schalke were obviously qualified for the UEFA Cup or the Champions League. I don't, I don't even remember which one. Must have been Champions League. Yeah. I would have imagined. Yeah, crazy times. <laughs> Schalke being good. What of What is this? Yeah. One of the biggest clubs in the world in terms of membership competing in the Champions League. Madness. So they were qualified for European competitions already. So Union Berlin, back then... Uh, that place, if the cup finalist that won was already qualified through the Bundesliga, that place always went to the you know losing cup final side, and that was in Union Berlin back then, who side that at that stage was actually playing in the third tier. Which uh, it's wild. Yeah, it's it's been a while, and um, 
you know, the the club had went bust almost on an occasion. There was a blood drive to save the club after that, I think, uh, started by the fans. So um, things have changed ever so slightly over the last couple of decades uh, in, in Copenhagen. And if you think that was confusing, don't let me bore you about the technicalities of Union Berlin being in the first division, but it being the Oberliga. And let's not get into that because that's a, that's a uh, subject not even... Yeah, I I mean, the Oberliga in Germany and, and in the old GDR are two completely different things. But let's save that for another day and, uh, you know, another chat that is probably going to last for two and a half hours. And probably needs a historian. A, a football historian. Yeah, let's call Uli Hesse then. Anyways, turning back to Union Berlin. I mean, one of the things that struck me as a really important event for them is actually Max Kruse getting into that side. Because he's the sort of player who reads space really well. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily the fittest of players. He could, you know, lifestyle-wise, he, he could make an improvement or two. Um, maybe even three. What are you trying to say, Nick? But in new year, new him? You know, take it easy on the shisha and, you know, the Nutella Max. All I'm saying. But anyways, I think that he's the sort of guy who, in attack, he places teammates around himself better. And that's probably... One of the biggest reasons why Werder have struggled to replace him because they couldn't find that sort of player. And he's basically been that player, except for his time at Wolfsburg, for any team that he's joined since he was playing for St. Pauli. Yeah, and we talk about in this Union Berlin fight how they can easily overplay an opponent's pressure by playing a ball over them, which Max Kluzer can easily collect if he's being played as a number 10 or even more up front. But, I mean, Union Berlin also have a really great in-possession game, which doesn't have to be so quick for him and everyone else, as you said, rotates around him, plays around him, so he can just be there at the end. And it's short distances, so it it's not as grueling, and I think that's why it so perfectly fits for Max Kruzer. Indeed. I mean, if you were to highlight the most important pieces of the puzzle for Urs Fischer. Who are they? I mean, we've mentioned Max Kruse, his striking partner, Irony. Who else would you highlight? The thing is, they change their uh, wingbacks quite regularly, but Gieselman's done fantastically. And I would say Gieselman, who's played more recently, Ryerson, uh, Tremel. I think Tremel's been the most... I would go any of those three. Well, there you have it. Uh, Norwegian being one of the key players for Union Berlin. Julian Rielsen, who used to play for Viking Stavanger. Great news. Anyways, moving on from that ever so slight digression. One thing I was wondering about when I sort of started thinking about Union Berlin and where they're at in the table. As we've discussed, they're sort of a very intense team. And I, I was sort of wondering, are they maybe the sort of side that has managed to keep up their intensity level to a higher degree than any many of the other sites after the Ghost games were reintroduced? Because, I mean, there was an article in El Freund a while ago when the Ghost games were introduced, and Christoph Beermann wrote that, you know, the pressure per minute in the Bundesliga actually went down after, you know, fans were removed from the stands. So players on the ball 
face less pressure than they usually would do. And that whole stat sort of explained to me why you have like these players who always do well in test matches in La Manga, where there's no crowd. And when it comes to, you know, playing in the Bundesliga, suddenly you wonder, well, where's the guy who scored three goals? So I was wondering, if are, are there a sort of side that has managed to keep up the intensity despite the lack of fans compared to many of the other sides around them? So there was um, a little bit of a, not properly researched data, but there was some experiments, tests, what, what is the word that I'm looking for? They, they looked at a bunch of numbers. People did. I'm not sure who, which people, but there's data. <laughs> there is data, believe me. <laughs> Some dudes with data, you know? Some dudes just collected all the data from games. Uh, They basically looked at certain games um, played from the 1819 year, the 1920 year, and the 2021 year. And a lot of those games across like similar playing teams, they didn't actually change their, what we would call like pressure stats that much. So um, we have average distance, average sprints, and average, I think, intense runs. And none of them really changed across any of these years. So they are kind of average data and the teams, like there's only a few teams that it did look at. But on the surface of it, it actually looks like not much has changed. I do feel personally that maybe because... The offset of the crowd, you have an onset of coaches' voices swearing at you or shouting at you that makes you a little bit more focused. But yeah, across the data, it doesn't look like there's been that much of a difference on these three stats that has been taken, but just the amount of sprints, runs. Although there are definitely teams that with managerial changes probably have seen a difference but again it's not to do with the crowd being back or not it's to do with their whole style changing and there's a bunch of those things you need to take in account as well that we'll probably never really find out across some teams if we go with teams that haven't changed maybe we should just look at Freiburg Freiburg across the ages then um, that's probably our best bet all right. If you're some dude collecting data and loving to look at data, or a dudette for that matter, here's your project for the next week. Look at Freiburg through the ages. Anyways, I think this is it for part one. I hope you enjoyed our little chat about Union Berlin. In part two, we'll be answering all your questions from Twitter. Here we go, part two, and it's once again time for a bit of question time. Uh, this is probably not going to be as tough as uh, the Prime Minister's question time Boris Johnson had to face the other day. Well, I mean, nothing is really tough for Bojo, come to think of it, but anyways... Uh, let's... I was about to say he's still in a job. Yeah, I mean, the lack of accountability <laughs> at the top of the tree is amazing. I mean, if I had such a job security as a nurse... My God, people could die. I wouldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't be out of a job at any point. Anyways, so here are your questions, or at least some of them. Let's try to get through as many as possible of them. Let's start with at Sunaverda, who uh, asks us, if you were picking a promotion candidate, 
and you could put your money on either Werder Bremen or the field of the field of Heidenheim, Nuremberg, Regensburg, Paderborn. Conveniently forgetting Schalke here. Where's where's your money going? I would go Werder Bremen. Well, I, out of those, <laughs> I, I, I'd say Werder Bremen. But looking at the squad and you know thinking that Schalke at some point might come to their senses and make a managerial change. I'm go- I'm going with Charlie. I, I I don't think but they're th- going to change a manager unless because I feel like they should have already because that team is way too good to not be promoted or not be first. There is no there is no reason why that team should not be first. Mm. But third of Bremen, there's always one team that makes it from the depths of near relegation and has a terrific second part of the year, and I think third of Bremen might be that. They've come back from injury. Oh, obviously, COVID, one COVID outbreak changes everything, but... I've just had one. Yeah, exactly. And we saw what happened to Kiel last season, even though I think that wasn't just the COVID outbreak. Although, same, same manager. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> no, but I think, I really think Oliver is a great manager. I think they've got a great team. I think they've figured it out now. And they look strong. They, they, they just look strong. They, they recruited well. Or even though they had a fire cell, I think they replenished enough to get them over the line. So, yeah, but I, I do also really like Heidenheim. They just are, I would say, out of the other three, Heidenheim is the strongest. I mean, not they're... in terms of team. Not in terms of team. But they're the sort of side that's always been towards the top end of the Bundesliga 2 table and with a lot less resources than a lot of the other teams in the in the Bundesliga 2 and that that is obviously down to one of our favourite managers, right? Frank Schmidt. There you go. 20 years and counting Frank Schmidt and it, it, it's like what I said with uh, Timo Schultz at St. Pauli he's been there for such a long time he knows the football philosophy probably knows how the overhead goes. He created it. Yeah. But then they're, then they're just that little bit inconsistent. But they're the best ones out of the three that have kept up with the rest of the pack. So I mean, the, the other thing i just come to think about is the fact that <laughs> the other team besides Schalke that wasn't mentioned in that question is, of course, the team we never mention. HSV. <laughs> which uh, you have said are going to be promoted... 100% guaranteed because you do love that coach, Tim Balter, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say 100% guaranteed. <laughs> Nothing is guaranteed in this league. I just said, You almost went as far as guaranteeing it the last time we spoke about it. And you they... are quite... <laughs> All right, they keep drawing. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> I don't know why they keep drawing. They shouldn't have... If they just kept Harada, they would have wiped the league because they create enough chances. Yes, but they're draw SV these days. I mean... The... They're 1-1 one, one HSV and... Well, if they beat Pauli in this week. Interesting. Well, they haven't really had a great run against St. Pauli. They've sort of uh, turned them into their bogey team. And it's, uh, you know, it's an intercity derby. So um, anything could happen. Certainly going to be exciting stuff, this. So there you go. Verde Bremen, out of the select teams that you did mention, but, you know, there are a couple of other teams you conveniently forgot to mention. And they're unfortunately still playing in the Bundesliga 2 as well. Turning our focus even further down, what's up with you guys? Brian Sanders wonders what's the recipe behind Magdeburg's success in the Dritte Liga? Tits. 
Teats, yes. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to German names and pronunciation, you should be very aware of how Christian Teats and Stefan Kunz are pronounced. Teats. Christian Teats. We love a bit of Christian Teats. Yeah, they're flying in the third league. They're 10 points ahead, I think, right now, because last time I checked, Mannheim were 1-0 up, which I think meant they were 10 points ahead. If Mannheim messed it up, then there are more points in front. But yeah, uh, Magdeburg are doing an amazing job. They're really exciting, really great team to watch in the third league. If you're watching them, their build-up play includes goalkeeping chain, where the goalkeeper is effectively a centre-back in the middle of two centre-backs. So it aids as an extra man. They're really fluid in attack in general. The use of Barashatic is... As a 10-slash-strike mix has been amazing. He's got the most goal-creating actions in the league, so 10 goals and 8 assists. On goals alone, he's second. There's a few on 11. Lucas Schuller has also got 10 goals as a centre-forward, so they're absolutely flying. It looks like they'll get promoted. <laughs> I mean, I I guess the third league can also be unpredictable at times, but you expect them to be promoted. And yeah, I, it, they would be a fantastic addition into their Spider-Liga. Absolutely. Fantastic fans as well. And, um, you know, I, I haven't really watched them play a lot as I'm, you know, with the limited time on my hands. I, I don't watch as much Dritte Liga as I would like to. But what I've read about them uh, was is, is that Christian Tietz actually has a sort of as a team building exercise. He actually has started like sort of like little ongoing tournaments that run throughout the entire season. So everybody's playing everybody in, in table tennis and it's quite competitive and, you know, builds team spirit. And additionally, they once a week, they actually have a cake after a training session. Like, you know, when you see Christian Teets, you, you know, that you, you just see that he is a man who does like a Schwarzwalder Kirschtorte when you see, like, this outlined stomach. Him and me both. That's my favorite cake. There you go. I mean, if, if you ever want to secure an interview with Christian Teets, you probably just say, you know what, mate, I bring a Schwarzwalder Kirschtorte. And he's probably going to say, yes, I'll, I'll answer all the questions for the next two and a half minutes because that's how long it's going to take me to eat that entire cake. Well, there you go. A uh, lot of big names that we would like to see in the Bundesliga 2 vying for promotion in the in the Dritte Liga, which is uh, going to be exciting when we're nearing the end of the season. Well, uh, this is sort of like, uh, we talked about it already in part one, but it's, um, I think it's a question worth mentioning. It's uh, from Alex Kangaroo. He wonders, what lessons can traditional top Bundesliga clubs like Wolfsburg and Borussia Mönchengladbach learn from the likes of Union Berlin and SC Freiburg? that are beating them handily in the table with minuscule budgets in comparison. I mean, in the case of Wolfsburg, is uh, probably don't hire the wrong coaches. I don't think as a coach or as a part of the board or as sporting director that you're bigger than a club because it will go wrong. I mean, we've seen it, like, Schmatke hired the wrong coach. Schmatke can and does have good decisions, but there was obviously problems with, between him and Glasner because Glasner wanted to leave from last summer and then Frankfurt came around. 
eight left. He's doing, I would say he's doing a good job. If you take him what Frankfurt is and how many people that they've lost to have hurt him. <laughs> and Schmacker had just completely, I think, self-imploded. Everyone looked at that Mark Van Bommel appointment and thought, what is he doing? I predicted it from months out that it would be a disaster. It was a disaster. I feel like there's definitely, I thought there's no surprise. There's ego problems in the higher up you go in football clubs. It's just if there's someone there to bring you back in and can actually challenge your decisions in a helpful way, which we seem to have at Union Berlin, or it's, it's not challenging. It's more of a work together progress. The clubs that are doing well right now have something in common. They have a long-standing coach who knows the team better, knows how the club runs, and it works. It's not a fast movement of improvement all the time. Sometimes you need to go that slow path. But it turns out that it works out better when you do something like that um, rather than, you know, mm, it probably is down to bad decision-making at the end of the day. Max Eberl isn't terrible, but the fact that he didn't sack Marco Rosa quicker and save the club and start the whole transition period earlier with that club. I mean, he hung on to Michael Fronzek so long <laughs> before he hired Lucien Favre. I mean, they managed to escape by the skin of their teeth, avoid relegation through a relegation playoff. <sighs> So, I mean, he, he's Max Abel. I mean, it might even be his fault that he's too faithful when it comes to coaches. But, you know, having said that, I think if he'd sacked Rosa after that Dortmund move became apparent, he would have forsaken transfer money from that Rosa deal. Yeah, but... And, I mean, that sort of restructuring of the squad he has to do at this point, he would have had to be doing anyways. Yeah, but there is a point of doing it earlier and getting a fit in earlier and making the players know what's next earlier. The money is definitely a point why he couldn't sack him earlier, but it got to a point last season where the team was just destroyed physically. Look at, um, I think a good example is Zachariah, Dennis Zachariah. He is shot to pieces. <laughs> he had to come back from that terrible, I think, ACL injury out for nine months during the COVID kind of weird period. And nothing after that, the winter break that followed that year, this last quad time is a circle, throughout 2021, there was nothing done to really help these players. If you look at the injury table as well, completely ruined. And we've seen similar things to Dortmund, so it's not a club-specific thing. But it's stuff like that as well. You have definitely a point about the money. It does get to a point, okay, where do we draw the line? They wouldn't have gotten money. Mm. But I don't know the ins and outs of their finances. Had they finished higher, would that have been remunerated somehow? Would they have made better decisions in... Contracts with players, selling them off in summer and just having a clean slate and knowing when they were. I, th I think it's, it's it's not necessarily been a point for them not being willing to sell players. I think it's been rather difficult for them to sell players and getting the sort of prices that they want for them in the case of Ginter and uh, Zachary. I mean, they are sort of in that tricky segment of players that are 
below world class, you know, decent players who can play at an international level. Are they Champions League quality? Would you say they were Champions League quality? Because a lot of them think they're Champions League quality in the that's why they don't want to stay. Well, I mean, as a, as a footballer, I'm, I get I get the fact that they're want, wanting to compete at the highest of levels. I think they are there or they're about. You know, you could definitely see them in international competition if it's the Champions League or the Europa League. I'm not too deep down into the data to know that really, but I mean, the eye test tells me that these are two very decent players who should play. I probably wouldn't say that for Gint, but I, w- I would say that more about Zachariah, maybe most Ramazes and forward. Um, Gint, I have my doubts, especially because he's older. Not to be just completely slag off Ginter, I think he has a level, and I feel like some of the clubs that have been talked about around him is a bit weird. Ginter, for instance. Like the Barcelona. Barcelona, like, well... I mean, they're looking. They're looking for cheap players. A good Barcelona, not the crap Barcelona that we've got now, <laughs> or was in a few weeks ago. But I mean, anyways, I mean, with Lampard, it's, it's probably the case that Max Abel wanted to sell these sort of players that were on expiring contracts at the end of the season, but the market just doesn't give him the money that he wants or needs for them. And, um, you know, if, if you sell them... Now they're going on a freeze. Yeah, well, yeah, but, if, you know, I mean, the problem is if you <laughs> sell them below their market value, you then have a lot less money to bring in replacements to, you know, help build up the team from scratch. So it's sort of like a catch-22. Do you want to be fucked right about now or next year? <laughs> Your choice. Anyways, uh, more questions. Uh, at Mindhunter800 is wondering who's the best fullback in the Bundesliga. Should I surprise you? Do you want to say yours? Well, Do you want to? <laughs> Julian Riason? Yeah. Julian Riason. I right, mean, he wins the Norwegian points. Do you want me to surprise you in my choice? I think this will surprise a lot of listeners. I mean, I have two, the most obvious choice here would be Alfonso Davies, sort of. I mean, That was not the one I was going to say, but he is my second pick. I mean, what would be your, the not obvious choice? Is it, is it a player who plays for a team that is in the Champions yes. League? No, no, no. No. I think that might have told you everything if I go, yeah, no. Was the team playing in the Champions League before the winter break? Yes. Oh, are we are we looking at a Leipzig player? No. Oh wow. Not looking. Who are we looking at then? We are looking at Rafael Guerrero. Oh, there you go. I mean, I I sort of was thinking that one of those Leipzig guys might might have caught your fancy. No. Nope. But Rafael Guerrero, definitely good pick. Yeah, I I think if you want a more, I know they said. Defensively and offensively, I think, in the question. Um, I would say it's a bit harder to do both of that. I just think Rafael Guerrero is quite stable in defence. Um, he's good in both a high press and low press, so he's actually quite versatile. I'm really good at 1v1s, which is really important in Dortmund's team right now because they allow a lot of them, and a lot of them do get bypassed by their other players. His stats are great offensively. His defensive stats are a little bit less, but I would take into account the structure of this Dortmund team and how far back they're actually performing or the personnel that they have. He's in the top like 96% for fullback goals, for assists, Shot creating actions. He's in the 93rd percentile, pass completed. 
um, touches, progressive carries, progressive passes. So he's just this great, fantastic player, not only defensively, but great in attack. And really, when fit, is really wonderful and special player. Away from like stats and style of play, which which alludes to like the greatest fullback. My own personal opinion has to. I has to. Ashley Cole always. <laughs> You're telling an Arsenal fan Ashley Cole. That's that feels like uh, hate crime. No, I, uh, not, uh, Alfonso Davies. Uh, he's absolutely magnificent. I love the way he plays. He works a little bit better defensively if you look at the stats, but again, stats ain't everything, and he's a little bit lower on the goal-creating actions and shot-creating actions than um, than uh, Guerrero, but again, and his progressive passes, carries, his dribbling especially, um, there's something about his style of play, the fact that it's so quick and technical, and it's it, just feels fun his way of playing is fun to me so i had to give him an honorable mention well there you go all right we have a few minutes left so let's answer the last few questions rather quickly uh at michael clito wonders if there are any news on Banners leaving mönchengladbach and duda leaving cologne uh well no not that we know of <laughs> and you know what sorry um, just wait for the transfers to be confirmed if they are going to happen Roshan Kruvila, he saw uh, Erling Haaland's interview with the Norwegian broadcaster via play, which, um, you know, spoke volumes about what might be, well, what is going to happen this summer, and that is Erling Haaland leaving Borussia Dortmund and most likely the Bundesliga. And uh, Roshan is wondering, who do you think is the best replacement for Haaland, considering strikers in the Bundesliga, question mark? Well, I mean, there's a Czech talent that's checking out right about now, isn't there? Max Cruiser. Max Cruiser. Well, there you go. Yeah, I'm that kidding. Is the, I'm that kidding. Is the Czech talent I was talking about? I had. Who are you? Who do you have? Um. Well, it was a built article, and I can't seem to find it on my desktop. Give me. <laughs> Did it exist? You're making it up. No, I'm not making it up. But uh, but I mean, if you were to look at replacements for Holland, who would you be looking at? So in the Bundesliga itself. I would say Awani in terms of style of play. He suits like a T, that kind of attack, uh, counter attack, very quick minded, very fast, direct player. Um, especially a Marco Rosa Dortmund would be a great fit for Holland. However, if we just go across the border to um, Austria, I would say Abi Salzburg's Adeyemi. They are already looking at him. I think it's no surprise to anyone. Several German clubs have said to be interested or looking at him. Apparently Dortmund, it's a very high chance he goes there. But yeah, again, same similar style. RB Salzburg style of play, which fits into a Marco Rose of Dortmund, which fits a Haaland profile. It will kind of, it's fast and direct. So have you found that build article? Yes, I have indeed found that build article. And it's uh, it's a play by the name of Adam Honsake, who uh, debuted for the Czech Republic uh, during uh, the 2020 Euros in 2021. Youngest ever player to play for them in the Euros, I think. And he's actually had quite a run in, in the Czech League, uh, scored a lot of goals. 
I mean, he's sort of a player who can play uh, in a more midfield-oriented role, which would mean that if they signed Ademi, they could sign him as well. Um, but you know, he like he's the sort of player who likes to go forward, so definitely uh, one that uh, one to watch. Uh, anyways, a uh, couple more questions to go through. James Yarwood wonders what are our thoughts on the quality of young talent in the Bundesliga, especially Leverkusen. Some potentially great players there. He mentions Kosnu, Czech, Diaby, Topsoba, Vietz. But what I would say about that, and that is going to be a problem for German football coming up, there's only one German name on the list. The others are not German. Kosnu came from Club Bruges, is currently playing in the African Cup of Nations of the Côte d'Ivoire. Czech is Czech in 25. But just a, a quick word on young talent. And Bundesliga clubs don't have money to compete the likes of other European leagues. It's not the same amount of money. Therefore, most clubs find it easier and favourable, if not all clubs, to find a young talent in different countries that are looking for a move or their own youth programmes, which is why we've got a third league full of, well, was by Munich and Dortmund too. There's Freiburg too. And they play at a higher level, I would say, than the under-23s in or the Premier League too. So that's a little bit on developing talent for senior teams. There you go. Uh, last question, Marius Vorge wonders, um, he's from Bergen, I think, in Norway. Uh, is Schalke better with or without Toronto? I think this question came a bit too late for me to actually check their stats with it. I'm going to say that he's be- they're better with because he's... Without them, would they have scored any of their goals? I mean, he had sort of, sort of a run uh, <laughs> mid-season where he sort of stood for sort of like 70 or 80% of their goal production, but that has changed somewhat. Dropped. Yeah, that has dropped, but still, like, it's Toronto. He'll probably come back and he's already... Who else would score those goals? I don't know. I mean... I avoid watching Schalke if I'm honest. I mean, looking at their squad, I you know I'm I'm sort of doubtful. But I mean, I'm, what I will say about Zeman Toronto is, is the fact that it strikes me as as quite understandable why he hasn't necessarily made it as a player in the Bundesliga because he's always that step slow. He's always that step behind when he's playing in the Bundesliga. He's always sort of outsmarted. Whilst in the Bundesliga too, his sort of physicality and his brute force does give him a much more of an advantage than it does give him in the Bundesliga. And when you look at the stats at the Bundesliga, I mean, you'd think that a player who scores 20-plus goals in every Bundesliga two season would at least manage to get to, like, you know, 10, 12 goals. He never... I don't think he's ever gotten there in the Bundesliga, or maybe once, without having his stats in front of you. But, um, so that tells you what sort of player he is. He's the sort of player who might give you the goals that get you promoted, but once you're promoted, you would probably want to sell him to a side vibe for promotion. For any English football league watchers, he's basically the German David Nugent. And they will understand what I mean by that. Great, I didn't. <laughs> Just the exact same story with him. I think he did a few goals in the Premier League, but mostly... It, it's just championship. That, that was his level, and he fit at that level good. And, you know, it's Bundesliga 2. It's the greatest league out there, as we both agree upon, and, and that's why we'll be back next week with um, Talking Foosball 
extra Aufstieg edition uh, to take a closer look at the, you know, the Rekrunde and some other lower league news. Um, Jasmine, it's been a pleasure talking to you once again. Uh, Happy New Year, by the way. Yeah, Happy I New Year. To- we did, we did not say, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, did you have a good Christmas and all of that? No. Straight down to business. We talk foosball on this podcast, uh, which, as always, has been produced by Aiden Rantula. Jasmine, uh, you've got a bit of an exciting new gig, right? Yeah, you can catch me doing Bundesliga tactics every now and then on the Athletic. So if you have a subscription, please check into the Bundesliga pages. If you don't have a subscription, get one, maybe? I won't force you, but it would be nice. For anyone who doesn't, you can find all my other usual stuff on Twitter, which is at jasmine underscore bh1. Excellent. Uh, you can find me at More Musings. You can find the podcast at Talking Foosball. Make sure to subscribe to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Talking Foosball. Until next time, it is goodbye for now. <laughs>